Now see, this would actually be a good podcast if we knew what we were doing. <laughs> he needs permission. So. Yeah, I, I can't be responsible. <laughs> and I just start going ham with the pitchfork on this horse. Next week on Soggy Pancakes. I'm one of your hosts, Nathan. And I'm the other host, Wilson. And don't forget to go check out SoggyPancakes.com. Enjoy the episode. Peace. All right, welcome back to the Soggy Pancakes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nathan. And I'm the other host, Wilson. And we are on episode 64, and we are excited to uh, be with our guest today. Uh, guest, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Jim Langlois. Jim yes. Langlois, yeah. welcome. Hey, yeah. guys. Good to, good to see you. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Glad to have you, or glad to be with you, <laughs> and honored to have you on our podcast. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jim, how do we how do we know you? How did we get to know you? Oh, kind of a funny story. I, this is, <laughs> I thought this would be a great story. For yeah. Me. Wilson's a, you know, a swim instructor up at the, the YMCA up in Huntersville. Mm-hmm. And my wife took lessons there, and she goes, oh, you got to know this guy. I, yeah. gave him, I gave him your name. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to give you a call. And normally when she says something like that, it doesn't really materialize, right? right. So lo and behold, you gave me a call and said, I want to come down and talk with you. And that was back, well, maybe last yeah. August or, or September of last year. Oh, yeah. I, it was so funny because I was just <laughs> talking to another swim instructor. I was like, man, this like, whole college thing has got me stressed out. Like, I'm, I'm interested in like architecture and engineering. She's like, oh, my, my husband's an architect. Hey, and he loves talking to teenagers, you know, help him figure out what to do. I was like, oh, that's cool. She was like, you should totally go and meet him. I was like, oh, cool. I thought I was just going to go to like some small office building, you know, somewhere up in Charlotte. No, little do I know, I come into this huge <laughs> Charlotte building, into this actual office building. And that's, I mean, I know you're probably used to it now, but I mean, this is my second time stepping foot in a building in downtown Charlotte. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're here in Charlotte, but we're one of, you know, a dozen or 15 companies in this building. So it's not, so all, cool. not all us. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is um, where I, I live in Charlotte, obviously. Right. Um, so I use this office as my base, but um, I'm part of a company that has 24 different offices. So we I, I kind of go from office to office helping teams do design work for healthcare. So my focus is healthcare. Interesting. So I'm an architect, um, but uh, architecture can be so wide and vast that you can right. you can need you need to nail it, uh, narrow it down. Okay. And for me, it's been healthcare. All right. Well, that's very interesting. Can't wait to get into that conversation. But at first, to start off, we have to start off with a nice icebreaker question. And Nathan has been very excited about this question. <laughs> yeah. So this is a thing that has been kind of over social media. Uh, we talked about it previously in the podcast, but now. That we have a professional in the architecture field. Which do you think there's more of? Doors or wheels in this world? Wow. Which one do you think? I would say wheels. Wheels. Really? So it's first yeah. thought. That's, first thought. That was my first thought too. Yeah. I definitely agree. And do you have a, something to back that up? Or what's, well, what's your reasoning? I, there, there's just so many vehicles. You think that right. there would be a lot of wheels. Also, wheels, you mean wheels on a, a vehicle? Or do you mean more than that? Like a steering wheel. Does that... Also it, count? Yeah. yeah, it's, it's on an axle, I believe. So I think that's kind of okay. the definition of a wheel. Well, I'm guessing. So you must know the answer, right? Well, we don't really. No one ever really yeah, knows the, the answer thing. unless oh, you can. See. It's kind of like a fun little thing too. Uh, yeah, it's there's just, a lot of doors in the world too. There is right? a lot yeah. of like if you think of how many doors are you know in a skyscraper. Yeah, right. That's true. But then again, you also have to think the rolly chairs that we're sitting on each have five wheels, yeah. and there's only two doors there. So. It's just an interesting... I don't know. But then no there's idea. a lot of cars. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, I mean, think of a car, though. Every car, or on average, every car has 
four doors. So there you go too. I so I mean it's like so I guess it every time you out. think of something for one, you also think of something for the other. You know, it's just it's so mm-hmm. it, I don't know. I think it's so close. I think it would definitely be super close, but I don't think there's like a. I think your closer answer. one would be windows and wheels. Yeah. Windows and wheels. I, I mean, there's there's so <laughs> many of both. I don't even know which one we. I don't know. I think it's so interesting, but. Yeah. It's kind of our respect. I question. was wondering what your question was going to be, and there, <laughs> yeah, there it is. That. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, we just trying to make it kind of fun. Um, so I have a good starter question. So really, like, how did you get into architecture? Was there anything specific that sparked it, or did you always know that you wanted to be an architect as young? No, I think it's one of those things you sort of have a, an idea what it is, and then you sort of walk toward it. Yeah. And it sort of emerges as something different than you originally started it with. Um, when I grew up, I had a, a grandmother that lived in the adjacent house to where I grew up. Okay. And she was the secretary and accountant in the architecture department at the local university. Hmm. So I had sort of an exposure to what she was doing, even though she was doing the accounting side of things, to the architects in her office. And that started me thinking. Yeah. Um, so I think it began there. Um, I had a lot of uh, family members that were in uh, the construction trades, so I was exposed to that. And um, I wasn't very good at reading. And yeah. I, I was very good I at math. <laughs> and so, sort of, you know, some things lead you in a direction. I think those were probably big, big movers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also pretty artistic as a kid. And I think there was probably a proposition by someone that said, hey, you should be an architect. And before you know it, you start thinking that and going right. there. Um, where I grew up was uh, just a town adjacent to the, uh, the university, um, the state university in New Hampshire. Gotcha. So I had access to their campus and I rode my bike all through the campus and explored all the different pathways and connectivity between buildings and that was fascinating. Right. And so when I uh, left high school, I instead of working at the local supermarket, I asked my grandmother for a job oh, wow. at the, at the uh, local architecture group, and then she introduced me to someone there, and before you know it, I was working there. And so, Man. you know, sometimes you take advantage of relationships and opportunities, and that was how it started for me. Yeah, that is yeah. very interesting. So it kind of sounds like you were kind of, you were on that path when you were younger, so. Yeah, she had a nice yeah. set path. And so, how many years have you been into the architecture business now? Oh gosh, I've been I've been registered since um, let's see, eighty nine. Wow. So that's yeah, eleven plus twenty two, so thirty three years. Wow. That's, that's really so over incredible. those years. What do you think's the you know the biggest change? Because obviously, architecture is going to change over that that time mm-hmm. period. I don't. I'm curious. If, you know, if there's anything that stands out as like the biggest change? There's been a number of big moves that have happened, but the biggest for me in my career has been the computer-aided design. Right. Okay. CAD. Yes. And when you digitize design work, it, it changes the way you think and the way you approach design. And so for me, I, I, I was right on the cusp of that as I got into the business, and obviously it's grown since. So people who are not part of that before me, right. they really never adopted it. Oh, okay. And, gotcha. And so I'm right there on the the the, uh, the fold of right. the generations that knew it and, and use it, and the ones behind me, the ones who didn't use it, and it's funny because I think a lot of my good opportunities have come because I was on that generation that started to use it. Okay. Yeah. And 
the older generation who didn't use it sort of left a big chasm because they get out of the business early or they just didn't adopt. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's been really a big um, opportunity maker. Um, so I think, Nathan, your question I think is really a good one, but the, the use of computers in design is something that really I saw transform the whole business. Okay, very interesting. So with you saying it transferring or transforming the whole business, do you believe it to be a good change or more of like a like a more efficient change or like a bad kind of with computers? Do you think they by affecting the way people think about their structures and what they're building? Do you think it's uh, made it more efficient and more a better way to see the buildings because you can see it from different angles and stuff like that well, and angles it, that you couldn't I, see before. Well, I think the the, the visual side of it's one thing, but I think just just the, the process of design has changed. Right. I mean, if you equate it to, say, um, mass production, say cars, mm -hmm. there was a time when cars were handmade and there was coach builders right. that pounded the metal and, and welded the steel and, and then it, it started to become more mass produced like what we're doing with architecture. Okay. And you start thinking of things in components and you start assembling the components and the components are done independently and developed independently. Okay. But they're put together, and, and architecture has followed a lot of that, where now we don't get into detailing every piece of molding or every uh, door hardware piece, right? right? There was a time when architects did all that. And right. now those are things that we pull off the shelf, we plug them in, they're part of a, a system. Okay. And so for architects, what we do now is we rely on this um, almost mass production mindset, and we don't get into the same type of detail that we once did. Okay. So the efficiency thing you're talking about, we certainly are much more efficient. Right. And things are more safe, and they're more affordable, and on and on. Yeah. So there's a lot of gains that went with the use of computers. And, yeah. But there's a lot of things that were left behind, things that you know mm -hmm. people had a fascination with design, um, and it, it began with art and creativity. Right, okay. And the tactile, the, the craftsman. You're right. And a lot of architects prided themselves in being craftsmen. Right, and the uniqueness you, of the taste of the architect. That's right. Okay. And I think what has happened a lot with computer-generated or, or uh, augmented design is that now computers are forcing us to adapt to components Okay. And not as it's not as tactile. Okay. It's not as creative in in many ways. You, well, right. the creativity has changed, but it certainly isn't something that we're hand building everything. Right. So the craft is different. Right. That's that's very interesting. And not only that, but like the generations that are coming in, they're learning to use the computer, so they're not even getting that taste of, that's you know, true. coming up with it by themselves. Like they're ta just taking it from past. That's true, too. They're adapting. Yeah. Here's one big thing, I think, maybe a second part of the question you've asked, is that um, because of the digital age, uh, the education in colleges is different. And right. a lot oh, of yeah, times, yeah. well, if you go away, go back to the days of the pyramids, right? Right. There was the mentor-protege, and that is the foundation of the architecture student and, um, and the, the mentor. And you would end up having someone that would teach the younger, less experienced architect the ways of, of design. Yeah. And you'd be brought up through the ranks, and you were slowly brought into the profession. You weren't given too much responsibility too quickly because the master kind of would be guiding the protege right. through this process. 
-hmm. Well, what happened with the education system is they started teaching these digital tools and students came out of college with more understanding of how to design using these tools than the people okay. who are in the business. Yeah. And suddenly it was almost a flip. You right. end up having yeah. people who are doing this for decades not knowing and people who are just out of college knowing more and there was almost a flip of the mentor-protege. It became confusing. Yeah, that is very no, interesting. That makes sense because like, you, you think of apprenticeship, that's more of like, you know, like an art, that's kind of like a, you're mastering a trade kind, right. of, kind of aspect, but then like you said, it kind of flipped, so then you now have the students that didn't really get that one-on-one, -on -one, you know, like learning from a mentor kind of thing. It's more of just you're learning how to use, you know, this technology and, and that kind of flip-flop the... Uh, I guess the process, and then who, it, 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 who knows well, what. It, it broke down the structure that had been there for you know for centuries, right? Yeah. But it, there's going to be a point where it does start to um, even back out, and the people who have been brought up all the way through mm -hmm. the decades of using digital means, right, will now sort of understand. Okay, these are tools we're using. I need to guide a new or, or recently graduated student through this process. But there, I, I remember when this happened because I had a lot of people who were like, uh, I've been in the business for 30 years and I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm not going to use those tools. Yeah. And they kind of felt like uh, the, the new um, ways of designing weren't something that they understood, didn't want to understand it, and the students coming out had some tools that they just didn't know what they had. Yeah. And so there was a time, maybe a decade or so, of confusion where people didn't know quite who was the master, who was the right. one that, who was the, the, the person who was going to be teaching who. Okay. Very so it, it may never go fully back to what it was, but I think there is a bit of a pendulum swing and there will be a point where people who do have a good understanding of using digital tools are the senior ones. Huh. And there's always going to be new evolutions of those tools, but that's a big difference. I think that the digital age has been the biggest change for me right and that I mean that just makes sense I mean that totally makes sense yeah that's very interesting all right well I got another I got a good question kind of switching topics a little bit so um, when I, I did a little research and went on your LinkedIn and your official title is executive vice president slash healthcare architect and all these other things so I mean executive vice president's a pretty pretty big name yeah. and you know it's a strong name in the company how so with that name, did you just get that with being in the in the business for thirty year, thirty three years, or was it just that you were so good that you just went <laughs> to the top? And that's kind of like, just, like well, do you, it, was there like a strategy that you used to get to the top, or was that your goal, like that kind of stuff? That's what I was kind of interested well, in. Those are difficult questions to answer. The executive vice president, we have each market that we have, or each client type, building type that mm -hmm. we have within our company. There's eight different building types or client types that we have, gotcha. and I lead healthcare. So okay. each one of those markets, as we call them, each one has an executive vice president, basically a leader right. that's looking out for where that entire market, I have 210 people in the market for, with my group. Yeah. And so with those 210 people, I kind of lead the direction, I do lead the direction that we're going and trying to evolve into a strong business, doing good work and having good clients. So mm -hmm. my role is a leadership role. And right. so I take my architecture education and all the experience I had, and I try to use it to help guide people and yeah. encourage them to do great things and keep them out of trouble yeah. and make our clients feel like they're getting good service and good, a good result. Right. So um, it wasn't something I had in mind. Um, mm -hmm. 
I, my background has been I've always worked in teams. Mm -hmm. And so the team uh, requires some hierarchy in order for it to function correctly. Right. There needs to be someone who's ultimately responsible for the team's success, guides the team. And so I did a lot of that early. Mm -hmm. And I took that kind of leadership on a team, and it became then, okay, multiple teams. And then it sort of just, right. it grew from there. But what I have right now is a company of about 1,000 people, and I'm one of the owners of the company. Wow. And we have eight different markets, and I lead the healthcare market. That is really incredible. Yeah, it's, it's well, it's, it's fun, but, you know, in some ways the leadership responsibilities you have and the business responsibilities you have you have to leave behind something because you yeah. can't do everything you used to do. Right. And for me, I used to love to design and plan and, you know, work with teams to develop a, an idea. And I have to be okay with the fact that I can't do that every day. Right. And right, so right. you give up something when you take on something new. And for me, that's one of the things I've, in essence, sacrificed. Right. Um, but it's okay. Yeah. You know, you can, you can take... Uh, you can take uh, pride in watching other teams do great things, and that's kind of where I am right now with the company. Is I, we have, uh, uh, let's see, seven different locations that do healthcare. Wow. Charlotte's one of them. And uh, for me, each, each location has multiple teams, so we probably have uh, maybe 40, 50 different teams doing work on projects. That's and cool. so for me, I have a, a kind of a light touch with each of these teams of how they're doing. And very interesting. Every day is different. That's very. I think that's so cool. Just being at the top, and everybody has to kind of like talk to you. And I find that very interesting. Well, I'm actually not at the top, right? I'm at the top our, of my market. Yeah, sorry. But I, I have of our of our eight markets. We all report back up to uh, others that run the company. So, right. so um, we have a board of directors, which is at the top of our company, and beneath that, there is a. Uh, management team and I report to the management team so they're trying to look across all these markets making sure that we're doing the right thing right it's almost like a family with children you end up having kids and everyone one's up the other one's down you're trying right. to balance things so uh, for me I lead the healthcare aspect of it and it, it, it amounts to about 30% of the company Wow. That's so um, what are the uh, other aspects of the uh... yeah um, well Healthcare is the largest. Um, wow. Beneath that would be transportation. And that that's a very different group. It's mostly horizontal work. It's not vertical work. Okay. So they're designing roadways and bridges and, and talking about you know municipal work that is either state run or county or, or city projects. Mm -hmm. Very different than us. Uh, that's next largest. Then industrial is below that. Industrial is basically manufacturing. Mm -hmm. It's probably a lot more than that. But their business yeah, I think right. of as being you know, sort of heavy-duty machines and buildings that help contain that. Um, beyond industrial, it's corporate and urban design, and corporate is basically the buildings we're sitting in, right? Work workplace buildings, and then after it, it falls off, that they're they're much smaller. After that, we have building engineering that supports all of our markets. Mm -hmm. uh, land planning is another. Kind so, of makes sense. you know, it's sort of a um, a variety of different clients and different building or project types. But the idea is to have sort of a company that has some um, um, diversity. So when right. one market is up and the other one's down, you can rebalance. Gotcha. Yeah. So for me on the healthcare side, it's probably um, more steady than most markets because healthcare is always needed. Right. But all it takes is something like a pandemic. Uh, I you bet know? it's been very chaotic. It's yeah. been crazy. So you have clients, some that said, hey, we're not doing any work. All of our projects are on hold. Okay. We need all hands on deck to take care of sick people and mm -hmm. uh, 
support the nursing staff. Interesting. Other clients said, nope, this is a great time to grow. We're right. going to take advantage of the fact that we have the wherewithal to acquire and to build. Mm -hmm. And so we had those clients that wanted us to go faster. Okay. So for us during the pandemic, it's actually been a very good um, business period. That's good. Because most of our clients have said, go straight ahead and keep moving. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it Take is advantage. it is fairly stable compared to the other markets. Like we have our corporate group, and you can imagine most of the office buildings have been empty for a couple of years. Oh yeah. And they've had to reimagine themselves of what is their work. Mm -hmm. Our industrial group, you know, a lot of manufacturing went into a tailspin with the uh, uh, with the supply chain difficulties, mm -hmm. and so they had to rethink their work. So. Nice. All of us have had different, different yeah. uh, either opportunities or struggles, but um, for us in healthcare, it's been a really good two years. That's, yeah. Hey, you can't complain about that. So, uh, you know, you keep talking about healthcare. What exactly does your company do for healthcare? Like, what is the healthcare aspect of your company? Right. Um, I guess you could look at it simply and say it's hospitals and clinics. Right. Yeah, we do buildings is our, our mainstay, although we do advise our clients, too, on um, operational aspect of their, their, uh, their business. But generally, it comes down to hospital work and uh, clinic work, okay. outpatient work. Right. And within those two areas, it comes down to newer renovation right. or expansion. Right. Um, the, the, the vast majority of our work right now, um, and it has been since the company began, is on the acute care side. Mm -hmm. which is tertiary care, which is inpatient. So hospitals is where right. most of our work is. But we're seeing a fairly sizable shift away from inpatient and acute care to outpatient. And basically buildings you can access without having to go through a hospital. Okay. And so those become lower scale, easier to access, um, not as big, not as complicated. But the idea is to... Um, to be able to get your health care in places where you live. So right. they're probably more localized and the buildings aren't as big. Wow. Yeah, so we're seeing a lot more of that. It's, it has been growing for a long time, but um, we're seeing, since the pandemic, we're seeing a lot more attention going to buildings you can access and not feel as intimidated by going into them. So um, a lot more of our work has gone over from the acute care hospital inpatient to the outpatient. Interesting, yeah. that's very interesting. And I see you have a um, Charlotte International Airport. That was the se that was the seventh market I didn't mention, and I should uh, have. Okay. Yeah. But aviation is our other major market, and those are images. The image against the wall is the main uh, terminal, and we're expanding that. We're putting a new canopy over the entrance, and changing the whole entrance sequence. Right. And then the lobby, which is going to be to the right, is all going to be reworked and expanded. Hmm. Yeah, it's a fairly sizable project. I've been going in and out of the airport for 20 years. In the last three years, it's been under construction with this project. That's so So it has cool. another, another year and a half to go, but that's it's a big project. The image that's uh, in the corner is uh, one of the walking bridges from the parking deck over to the main lobby, and you're underneath the main drop-off canopy. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, Charlotte Douglas is a you know busy airport. It's one of the right. top five busiest airports in the country. It's a hub, yeah. so people come and go. Um, connections are made there. Right. But it's grown like crazy, and it continues to be. So for us, it's been a good client. And we do other um, aviation work around the country too. So. Very interesting. What is the um, with all the places that you've done over the country? What is like your 
best project that you feel you've done? Your Ooh. favorite. Yeah, your favorite. Yeah. My favorite? Yeah. It's the next one. The right? next one, all right. Yeah, it's always the one you, you don't have yet. Yeah. I was uh, in Pensacola, Florida two weeks ago and went down there for a topping off ceremony. Hmm. which uh, they celebrate because the building has gone as high as it's going to go and they put a Christmas tree at the top and they have a little <laughs> you know a little hey. speech by the mayor and all that kind of stuff and wow. I was down there 2 weeks ago and it was a it's a brand new hospital mm -hmm. and it has a medical office building with it and parking facilities and it's pretty intense but there was 1200 workers that all took a pause during the day to come out into the you know sort of the forecourt of the hospital they had tables set up and food there. The mayor and the president of the health system spoke. It was pretty cool to see that all is that. really right? cool. Walked yeah. all through the buildings and you realized it was all, um, you know, still rough, right? They, they, they just topped it off, so they just got to the yeah. final height. They're putting windows in, uh, starting to do some drywall work, even though the building wasn't totally uh, dried in. Mm -hmm. But to see the whole building come, I've been watching it on the images, uh, uh, the digital images that we designed from, and to see it then in person and realize the scale of it, it was just impressive. That's, yeah. that's so cool. So the whole team came. You know, it was 20 some odd people. There's been over 100 people that worked on the project, but the uh, the 20 that came were the core team that had been right. working on it from the, the get-go. Um, happy day for everyone to see it. Yeah, that it was, is really cool. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun to see. Very interesting. Um, so I have a question about the kind of the process. So, you know, you're the architect of the that's kind of your main purpose but i'm assuming you don't build the whole building by yourself so kind of <laughs> what is the the pro like do you have to run it by certain people like what's the process when it comes to building a hospital per se yeah. if you wanted to like is it your idea where you're like oh this place they want a hospital so we need to do this 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 and this because there's so much stuff that plays into building a building that a lot of people don't realize so what kind of people and what what's kind of the process of coming up with the design of the building in the first place. That's pretty complicated to answer in a simple yeah. simple way. But it, I, I talked earlier about teams, and obviously it works in teams. Mm -hmm. And the team is made up of a lot of experts. So what you're talking about going, Nathan, you're talking about going to uh, NC State for electrical engineering, yep. right? Well, even electrical engineering has you know 20 different aspects to it. You could be the one that runs just the main electrical service into the building, yeah. or the one that does the distribution, or the one that does the life safety, one that does the low voltage. It goes on and on, right? Right. But in, in our case, what we do is we end up having experts that um, either have certifications or registrations in, in an aspect of what they provide to the team. So for us, a lot of times the uh, the projects are a result of a need. So a client would approach us and say, hey, I have a need. And sometimes the need would be as simple as uh, people are complaining that there's not enough parking. Or people are complaining that the, uh, uh, the bed tower elevators are not fast enough and okay. I'm waiting too long at the lobby level. Or there's been growth in our town and we don't have enough beds to fulfill the need of the hospital. We need to expand. Right. Or in a case I mentioned about Pensacola, they had a hospital that was um, probably not undersized, but it was old, mm -hmm. and it outlived its natural life. Right. So they needed to replace it. So at that point, you've been established. You you established a need, mm -hmm. and now you have to sort of back up and say, okay, this is what you uh, are trying to solve, but how do we get to that that uh, problem? Right. 
and you back up and you start looking into what are the things that are really, the presenting problem oftentimes is not the real problem. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they'll say, this is my problem, I need to fix it this way, and you realize there's something else that has, is, is an underlying problem that we're not talking about. Right. Uh, example would be, um, say you have an emergency room and they're not uh, getting good satisfaction scores from their patients. Okay. They're finding out that people are walking out um, dissatisfied with the wait time or it's too noisy or they don't feel safe there or something's going wrong and you're losing business in essence. You're not yeah. serving the, the community like you should. Mm-hmm. We need to have a bigger waiting room. You know, right. That's kind of, and we okay, let's do a timeout. You have a problem. The problem is that you're losing patience and you're not serving the community the way you want to, but let's look at why. And so right. for us as architects and designers, the eagerness is to jump in and solve the problem. Yeah, we could do a bigger waiting room. It's easy. This yeah. is how we do it. Oh, you're so creative. That's wonderful, right? Right. And yeah. you might not realize that that's not even the problem. The problem might be something very different. Right. So we'll start digging into what is the underlying problem and define what is the thing we're trying to solve. Okay. And then we put together what we call a program, which is kind of mapping out what is needed. Okay. And putting in sort of a quantity. You need to have, like in this case, uh, the emergency department might be that, uh, that the, uh, the cleaning crew is not fast enough to turn around the rooms where they're examining people. Okay. So people are waiting in the exam room when their visit's over, and they're tying up a, an exam room, and meanwhile the, the, the waiting space is being backed up. Okay. So you're not, their throughput, your, your process is not efficient enough. Gotcha. Yeah. And when we do an analysis, we may find out, hey, it wasn't that you need more waiting space. It wasn't that you had too few exam rooms. It's the fact that you don't have enough staff to clean the rooms. You turn them okay. around. Gotcha. So we might say to the owner, the, the presented problem is that you need a bigger waiting space. Mm-hmm. And what we've uncovered is that you actually don't need that. You need to have more janitorial staff, maintenance staff, to clean the rooms, to get them turned around so you can move people in and out. And gotcha. that's a non-built solution, right? Right. So the answer to your question is really complicated, but the architect is supposed to understand the problem first and then propose a path to solve the problem. Okay. And oftentimes I find the designers, not just here in our company, but almost universally, want to jump to the solutions too quick. Right. We want to solve the problem with a creative design answer. Right. And sometimes it's backing up a bit and understanding what it is you're trying to solve. And um, for us, the, the, a lot of the success comes to listening carefully to what is the problem okay. and then trying to help the client solve the problem. Very interesting. Um, so uh, for me, uh, the, the vertical solutions are always the funnest because you get yeah. to see something that you... get to build something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get to build something. But oftentimes it's not that. It's, it's something else. Gotcha. I uh, would never have thought that. I thought, you know... If you're working with architecture, you're always going to be, your job is going to be build something. I guess yeah. it's, it's really just to help solve problems in a way. So it's just going back to the basics of engineering, you know, solving a problem. Very interesting. Also, you take that one example, we might find out that um, you do need some more exam spaces. You need, you need a bigger waiting area. Right. And we scope it out and we put prices to it and a schedule to it and what has to happen to make that um, project a reality. And we present it to the client and they go, oh, we can't afford that. Or, oh, that's too disruptive. Gotcha. Or, oh, we should build a different 
facility outside of this hospital that can pull away some of that capacity so we don't have this problem okay because we can't afford to do what you're proposing and that happens often interesting that we go through a scoping exercise to help them um, understand what the solution might cost or what much time it takes and then they make a decision wow we can't do that yeah we'd like to but you know we can't okay yeah so very, that is very interesting yeah. um wow that's really interesting uh my next question that i thought would be kind of a fun question and I'd, again very interested to hear um when you i mean i'm assuming you've been in other hospitals that you didn't help build or whatever and all that stuff have you s walked into a building and been like wow they the way they, the architect did this, this is just not how, how I would do it, or it's just, I don't think is as efficient as it should be, you yeah. know, and, or, and like, I could have done this better type thing, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been in that kind of situation before? Often. Uh, <laughs> and, and, well, and I, I think you have to take the attitude that you don't know the whole story. Right, exactly. Because if, you, if I walk into a place and go, oh, wow, these guys, you know, they, they, they blew it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't know the constraints they were put under. You don't know right. kind of what they started with. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes you look at things, and after the fact is easy to criticize, right? Right, of course. Because it's, it's, it's now being used in a way that's more, uh, more realistic and more practical, mm -hmm. and, and problems show up quickly. Right. And more often than not, I go into a place and I realize this is a solution that's probably one of 50 different ways of doing it, right? And mm -hmm. this is the one that they landed on. But I like it. You know, I realize yeah. you understand how they got to where they did. And you, you probably respect the fact that they went through the same process you probably would go through. Right. Um, but oftentimes I'll see a solution and I'll go, huh, that's pretty cool. And you try to understand how they got there so that you can learn from it. Right. And not that you're going to plagiarize and reuse it, but right. there's a lot of lessons out there that you can't um, build up your whole repertoire based on your own experience. You have to learn from others. Interesting. Yeah. I think I just find that so interesting. It's kind of like any, yeah. you know, take a, a sports person, right? They analyze right. film. Exactly. And they're going to watch how others do it and learn from that and try to either mimic or, or do it differently based on what they're seeing. Yeah. So you study others, and uh, there's a lot to learn there. Interesting. Very interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what's kind of the, the, I mean, you may have already answered this kind of, but like your biggest project that you have to work like, has there been a project where you've had where it's taking like longer than you would ever think you would ever have to work on a project before? Yeah, I've had a few of them. I think um, probably if you asked any architect, they would say, uh, especially at my point in my career, mm -hmm. they look back and there would be a, some, some projects that were the foundation of your career that you use as sort of a guide Right. what to do and how to do it and how long it's going to take and and I've had a number of them that were big projects that I look back at and they were the ones that I use as benchmarks to help right. me understand like where Time I'm going to go in this next project yeah, yeah. Right. they kind of give me the guidance of and I had a, a, a number of them that I was part of a big team I wasn't leading the the project necessarily although a couple of them I did but um, you watch the way that um, the team worked together mm -hmm. and the process of building it you know, not, not constructing it, but um, developing the idea to the you know to the you know, the concept to starting to make it more focused, mm -hmm. and then you start detailing it. And you start watching the the documents be developed in a way that now that they can be built from. Gotcha. And then during the construction, and then 
again, you go back to what you said before about going in the building after it's done. Yeah. And you go, oh, I wouldn't have done that again if I yeah. did. Yeah. You learn from what you did. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a, um, uh, the lesson's not done until it's, it is built. Yeah. And I've had a lot of projects I spent many months on that never got built. Oh. And those, those sort of have a hollow place in my heart because you realize the story is never going to be known, right? Right. You don't know if it really uh, yeah. worked or not. And that happens probably one out of every three or four times. Yeah. There's a building that never gets built that you spent a lot of time designing. That would drive me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a writer's book that never gets published or it's right. a, a song that never gets uh, sung. But uh, yeah, it, it happens a lot. Oh, so with those that aren't built, like what what stops them from being built? Like, what is the um, the big red octagon stop sign that says that this project can't be built anymore, or can't be built in the first place? Most times, it's because the design process takes quite a while. Okay. And then during that period, something changes. Oh, uh, okay. Construction values go up. The client gets bought by another client. Oh, uh, okay. They decide that they could solve the problem in a easier way or a better way um, okay. there's a lot of things that can happen but um, generally it's because when we design something it does take several months and sometimes even years to design it and in that period life changes yeah and when that happens the client has the the wherewithal to, to see that what you're designing is no longer valid or I can't afford it or it's not the right answer any longer mm-hmm. um, but that that does happen quite a bit. Right, and so with that happening quite a bit, is that how um, is it how bad is it for the company to lose that opportunity or that deal? Well, I think if you asked a bunch of architects that question, they would say the unbuilt projects are the least liable. That's uh, yeah, you get that's paid true. for your design time, and you don't get the the, the uh, liability or the risk. Of the building not performing the way it's supposed to. Oh, okay, that makes so, sense. But you don't want that. I mean, right, right. You, of course. Whenever there's a project that doesn't get executed, and you've taken it all that way, you're disappointed. Right. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I think it, it it it's kind of an odd thing when it does happen. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't think for us we would say that's uh, good or bad. But it's it's disappointing. Right. Interesting. That is very interesting. Um. That's really interesting. Um, so with being in the business for so long, uh, you've met thousands and thousands of people, I'm sure. Um, has there ever been a point where there was something that someone said to you that was just like the best advice that you'll remember for all your years in the future working? Has oh, there wow. ever been like a it's line? It's a deep question. It yeah. is a deep question, yeah, but I no, feel it's, like it's a, good... a lot of businessmen, like they always have like this one, maybe it was just like someone they always looked up to and they just said like, one line that guided them all through like is there something that you say to yourself every day that pushes you you know that's it is kind of a deep question i'm sorry for the deeper question but is there like a huge piece of advice that you would give to a person coming into healthcare or architecture wow (laughs) and you asked such a long question i probably had a lot more time to think about the answer than i should have had yeah (laughs) But, but you know i don't have something that sort of rings that way i've had a lot of experiences you meet a lot of people and you have a lot of good conversations but i think that the uh the thing that sticks out to me is most times that um, when you're working in a team, you have to sort of respect the other people who uh, have their one. own. There's never one right answer. Yeah. So you have to be open-minded about what's being discussed and not try to limit the mm-hmm. 
the potential of something. Um, I, I had a number of people who were very philosophical that I worked for, and they were great leaders, and they had a lot of lines. They had a lot yeah. of sayings and whatnot. And um, you know, I think in architecture, there's some that are that are renowned people who said said things form follows function or yeah. you know things like that that you can look back and say that's an architectural line. But I think most most of the things I remember are people who are um, generous with their time and they wanted to grow the next generation. They wanted people to, to grow through the ranks and do great things. So the, the probably the thing I remember most is I had two people in particular, and this during the years I worked up in New England, and they were really um, encouraging. And they didn't cut you short because you were young and had innocent ideas. They were yeah. they wanted to hear it all from you. Mm-hmm. And when they did, they actually helped bring out the value that you offered and right. develop the idea and let you see it. Sometimes it never went anywhere. Right. But I had uh, two people in particular that were really um, good at doing that. They were interesting. They were um, they were good leaders, but they also um, allowed people to flourish. Right. And, yeah. Yeah, I think that piece of advice is. I think that's really, really important because, like you said, when you have someone new coming in, like they're they're already nervous at themselves, like being with like big people and stuff like that, and you know they want to give their ideas, but they just don't know if it's enough. And I think when it comes to that stuff, any idea should be looked at as a good idea. And I mean, I think that's what's pretty important. You're working with so many different people too, and they're all creative types for the most part, right? Right. No one's getting into this business to be a, a stiff. You know, methodical, right, right. by the book kind of person. So there's a lot of characters in the architecture business. Mm-hmm. And I had this one story that was really kind of funny. I, I, I was leading a project. Um, I had a, a person over me that was um, over the entire studio. They had multiple projects, but I was one leading this one project. And it was a big project. Yeah. It was up in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. It was for Yale University School of Medicine. Mm-hmm. And I was working with this um, Associated architect from Philadelphia that was world renowned, right? World famous, everyone knows him, read all his books. He was the person you heard about in school. Wow, and he yeah. was going to be coming to our office in Boston from Philadelphia. So he drove up there, or he flew up or drove up, I think he flew up. Um, and his entourage was with him, right? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the the Yale client is coming from New Haven to Boston with his entourage, right? And they're all going to arrive just before lunch, and we're gonna go through all these design discussions over the next several days. It was a big deal. Right. So in comes the architect and his entourage from Philadelphia, and I got to meet him, and it was pretty exciting, right, just to meet this guy. Yeah. And we got into the big conference room, we had everything pinned up on the wall, and in comes the Yale clients, right, six or eight of them. Yeah. And we could start going through the agenda for the week, and we're talking about what we're gonna accomplish, what was important, you know, what, what are some of the things that we need to develop further while we're going to have these meetings? We'll present those as we go. And there was one topic I had there. I don't even remember what it was. But it was something that was a little bit sketchy, a little bit controversial. And I remember looking over at the person who led our studio. And he's giving me the goo eyes like, don't, don't go there. Yeah. That, that's a bad topic. And as I looked at him, and the room's full, all these people, and the famous architect, Mr. Robert Venturi was his name, from Philadelphia, and the Yale client were sitting really close to each other. And my boss is over there, right? And he's giving me the Google eyes, like, don't go there, don't go there. Like, <laughs> oh, and I remember God. stopping, and I said, you know, I have a funny story for you. 
and like, where's this going to go? I said, I used to have an uh, Uncle Rolf and Aunt, Aunt Millie that would come on Sunday afternoons. And when Aunt Millie would say something that my Uncle Rolf didn't like, he would move his head from side to side. And my boss is looking at me like, what on earth are you talking about here? Where are you going for this conversation? Uh-huh. And so the two, you know, the, the, the arc, Robert Venturi and the Yale client are looking at me kind of weird too, like, where is this going? And I said, so we all knew after a while, after many visits from these relatives of ours, when she said something he didn't like, he would do this with his head. And it was a tip for her to stop saying it, right? All right. Uh-huh. I'm looking over at my boss, and he's giving me the same look that Uncle <laughs> Rolf used to give his wife. Oh and gosh. I know that that topic is something that we shouldn't go over, and my boss just about lost it. And so the client goes the, from Yale, started, went, <laughs> and started laughing, right? And so then Robert Venturi started laughing. And I thought, okay, got out of that one. Oh my gosh. So for the rest of that project, every time that we had a topic that wasn't quite right or controversial, the client would tilt his head side to side. <laughs> and this went on for a year and a half later, and it became the running joke of the project. Every time there was something that he didn't like or it wasn't quite the right time to talk about it, he'd do the head tilt. Oh, my God. And it became this thing. And so my boss looked at me like, okay, you got away with it this time, but don't do that to me again. <laughs> Holy cow. But it's those that type is... of things that happen during the team dynamics. You know, mm-hmm. they're just fun. Yeah. And you realize that you're doing really important work, but it's all about... You know, everyone's sort of trying things, right? You know, and exercising ideas, yeah. and nothing's really wrong. It doesn't mean you have to adopt or adapt everything you take and you come up with, but there is times where you realize that hey, this is a creative industry, mm-hmm. and the idea is you're supposed to solve problems and help clients. And how you do it, it's kind of freeform. Right. There's no cookbook that you say, okay, let's go through these 25 steps. Gotcha. It's all kind of wide open. And so for me, the, you know, the question about do I remember a line or is there a saying, there's, there's probably more about um, uh, happenings mm-hmm. that went on during all these design projects over these many years that you look back and you go, that was fun times. You, know, you forget about all the hard work and the late yeah. hours and stress, and you remember some of the things that happened that were kind of uh, improvisation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. That's so yeah. cool. I, I just find that people are so cool. Absolutely. Well, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to share for, I don't know, maybe someone trying to get into the business? I don't know, like what's, I don't know, any thoughts well, before we wrap it up? Yeah, yeah. I, I think for architecture, it's a very broad um, title, right? Mm-hmm. It can be everything from, well, actually it's been used a lot for non-building design uh, professions now. You can mm-hmm. be the IT architecture or architect, or you can be the. Anyway, they they've used the word architect a lot more. But for architecture, the the business I'm in, it's wide and vast, and you're going to find that people let, gravitate to a thing that they're most passionate about. Gotcha. It might be the technical side. It might be planning. It might be your client service. It might be, you know, more of the the uh, the the the, uh, the way that you uh, execute construction. Everyone seems to follow their own little path, but with architecture, I think it's such a broad category. Even what you've been talking about, Wilson, is uh, getting into college and trying to learn and figure out what you want to do. Right. I think architecture is that way too. You get into it, and you sort of find what makes you excited, right. and you follow that sort of that path. But I think with architecture, it is a, a pretty wide industry, and I think 
not knowing what you want to do before you get in there is okay. Yeah. yeah. And you take the first chapter of your career and you do a lot of things to sort of discover what you like. Mm -hmm. And then when you do, you can kind of lock into it and follow it. And there's others that like to do it all, right? And they, they only go an inch deep, but they, they cover all aspects. Mm -hmm. There's others that sort of narrow it down and they go deep. Very so um, I would say my, my, my advice to anyone that's looking at getting into architecture is that get in and then find out where you want to go because there's lots of opportunities. Yeah. Very interesting. I really w never would have thought that there's so many it's broad. I thought, you know, I didn't realize there's so many different categories for architecture, really. You know, I was like, oh, it's just always buildings, right? But, you know, get down to the nitty-gritty and it's all, it's all very different. Just before this get-together, I had a call with someone that is talking about experiential design. And they're trying to do post-occupancy surveys to find out what emotions people have when they go through a building that has good or bad signage. Right. Okay. This so I find that very interesting. Talk about obscure, right? Yeah. But their 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 point here is that a building could be um, confusing to wayfind to find your way through mm -hmm. um, to the point where the building is ineffective. Okay. Or or it creates stress levels and you don't want to come back. Or you get lost too easily and you tie up staff because they have to lead you to the right elevator. Or, Gotcha. Anyway, the whole point that they have is I want to research this to the point where I understand how to design something that helps with the experience of being in the building. Hmm. And you think about it, that's really obscure, right? Yeah. Really tiny and detailed and, and it's, not, it's not for everyone. Right. But this person has found that this is important to them and if they study it and they find some conclusions, they find some, uh, some information that can help people design better, they're going to publish papers that help architects or interior designers design better so that the buildings aren't confusing mm -hmm. and they are good places to be. So it just shows you that here's a person that's taking one, one strand of the, the big fat braid of architecture and they're following that one idea and that might be, be a whole chapter in their career. Man, that's, it's pretty obscure, right? Yeah, pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty small. I know. Very interesting. All right, well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, really thanks, guys. Great experience. Learned a lot. I enjoyed talking See to you. See you guys next week. Take it slow. Peace.